Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Can't think of a better way to start a new week, Grancer, than with a brand new VanCast, and that's what we are all about here. The Canucks come off the road, the push in Montreal over the weekend. Before we get into the deep dive and the way that they played those two games against the Habs, can we at least agree that for two and a half hours on Saturday night as a consumer of hockey, fun returned to the game? It wasn't a perfect game for the Canucks by any stretch, and they end up giving up the bonus point in the shootout, but... Uh, it's just been such a steady diet of 2-1 and 3-2 hockey games for so long, and that's kind of the way the Canucks have to play these days, to get a 5-4 game where leads were traded back and forth and goals were going in from all over the ice. It's a little fun, a little escape on a Saturday night. Pure hockey chaos, and pure hockey chaos with stakes. It doesn't get much better than that, unless it's on a Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada. Perfect. Like, that was a perfect Saturday night in in the midst of this second pandemic wave. Loved it. Loved every minute of it as a consumer. And, you know, I, I mentioned this too, but I, I feel like the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast is as good as it's been in a long time. Like, watching the pregame show, they had that great Humboldt Broncos feature. Like, even my wife got sucked in. She's like, oh, this is great. And I was like, yeah, you know what? This is really good. I was, I was, I really enjoyed it. Like, there's not an awful lot of Saturday nights during a hockey season that, that we get to spend in in normal times anyway, but I've really enjoyed the opportunity to do so here and there when the Canucks have been on the road this season. Uh, I really enjoyed it last night, and and it did help that the game was so thrilling. I'm always a little leery in the broadcast world of having that many faces and voices uh, mm-hmm. on a panel, and yet I'm with you. I think that they've kind of hit their stride, and it's uh, an eclectic group, uh, it's a diverse group, and 
I thought I'm with you. Like I mean, the, the Caleb Dahlgren, the, the Humboldt Bronco feature was was Lovely. terrific, but I thought they they set up the games that were coming uh, later that night. And ultimately, uh, yeah, it's just it's a nice little sort of appetizer for the games themselves. And as I said, like, look, the Canucks go 3-0-1 on the road trip. They pick up seven of eight points. Uh, Brock Besser with another laser one-timer. Braden Holtby scored. Braden Holtby played. Hey, Nils Hoaglander got a shootout attempt. We talked about that a lot on the last uh, pod as well. Still waiting for uh, an overtime appearance there. Uh, but there were things to like from the Vancouver Canucks. But ultimately, more than anything, if they were going to continue this climb, they needed regulation wins. And they were forced to go beyond 60 minutes in every game on the four-game road trip. The game's in Ottawa. Uh, they got the job done. The single point didn't matter there. But the stakes were higher on the weekend in Montreal. And they had to find a way to clean out the Habs in regulation. They were that close on Friday night before the puck over the glass penalty uh, that allowed Montreal to get the goal it needed to get the game to overtime. And then on Saturday, uh, and look, again, because and, and I'm seeing a fair bit of feedback, you know, you guys are so negative about this team that all they're doing is winning. Uh, and, and again, like JT Miller, his performance on Friday in overtime, like that was spectacular stuff. Uh, they scored a bunch of goals on Saturday for the first time in a long time. It had been two weeks since they had scored more than three in regulation. Uh, but at the end of the day, they needed wins and they needed them in regulation. And it just, it didn't happen for them on Saturday. Yeah. And you know what? It was interesting to see that on the Dom LeCision projection model, the Canucks did actually gain two point two percentage points on their playoff odds. So they're up to 18% from a low of 3%, which was only 20 days ago. So, I mean, incredible. Like, they have six times their odds over the course of <laughs> over the course of 20 days. Like, you want something to be positive about? That's it. Uh, the problem with 18% is that the other number is 82%, right? And that's the chances that they're not going to make the playoffs. The, the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of where their odds growth has come has not been from Winnipeg, Edmonton, Montreal, or Toronto – they had an opportunity to take a bite out of Montreal's probability with regulation wins, but instead it's come from Calgary, who haven't been able to, uh, you know, keep pace the same way that the Canucks have, or, or make up some ground the way that the Canucks have. And making up ground's really tough. Like, for as good as the Canucks have been, they gained three, four points over the Habs over the course of this entire win streak, like, go dating back to March 1st. So... Uh, you know, it's just brutal. Like, it's a cruel league when you fall behind. It's an even crueler league when you fall behind in a 56-game season. That's the reality of what the Canucks are looking at. And for all of that, you know, they have won. They have put themselves in a position where when they played the Habs and played a barn burner at Le Centre Bell on, on Saturday night, it was a game that wasn't just fun to watch because the hockey was good. Uh, it was a game that was fun to watch because it mattered. Like, it actually did matter. If the Canucks had taken... Four of five points in that series, uh, and ends up being a five-point uh, five series if the Canucks win in regulation on Saturday, uh, like, that would have materially helped them in terms of upping their playoff probability more than just 2%. Uh, it still helped them a bit, but it came at the expense of a team that's not currently in a playoff spot. So, uh, you know, ultimately, I still think this team's in really tough. Sorry, I think this team is in really tough. And what's going to be really interesting to watch here, too, J-Pat, and we'll have time to talk about this in the in the weeks ahead. But it's like right now, you know, there's the games in hand factor. The Canucks have four on most of the teams they're chasing. Um, when 
or or sorry, are giving four to most of the teams they're chasing. When the Canucks take this week off and then play on the last day of March and then don't play again until the third of April, right? Like we're we're going into this stage where the Canucks are gonna play one game in ten days or eleven days. Um, that stretch is going to allow all these other teams to catch up, and then we're going to see what it looks like. Like, right now, it looks like the Canucks are two points out of the playoff race, if you look at the standings. They may jump above the playoff bar this week, depending on what happens against Winnipeg. Like, no matter what Montreal does, they can they can jump, leapfrog Winnipeg uh, this week with two regulation wins in Vancouver. Um, that's not outside the realm of possibility. I know Winnipeg's being overhyped because they beat the Leafs a couple times, and they've been one or two for much of the season. But for me, Canucks versus Winnipeg is in some order a game against between the fifth best team in the North and the sixth best team in the North. (laughs) Like for me, that's what that is. Like the Canucks could reasonably win those, but after that break, we're going to see where the Canucks really are. And it might be six points back. It might be eight points back, might be four points back, depending on how those teams take care of business. But you know, it's just worth keeping in mind that early April, we'll really have a sense of where this Canucks team is and where I suspect they'll be is significantly further out of it than it appears at the moment. Right. And I think for me, one of the big takeaways of the weekend in Montreal is that the Canucks are done with the Habs now. Like they don't have any more head to head games. That's the easiest way to gain ground on a team that you're trying to reel in is to beat them straight up. And, And that's where uh, the fact that the Canucks played them nine times, Tom, and didn't beat them in regulation. Like, that's incredible when you look Crazy. at the regular season series. Nine games, the Canucks go 3-5-1. and one, That's seven points. Montreal went 6-0-3. Oh, that's 15 points. There's an eight-point bounce in Montreal's favor head-to-head against the Vancouver yep. Canucks. So when all Wild. is said and done, just keep that in mind. Um you know, and that's what we talked about, the importance of, of regulation wins. The Canucks have 13 regulation wins in 35 games. Like, that's not exactly getting it done. And when you're only playing within your division, if you're not winning in regulation, you know, there's a consolation prize there. And so for Montreal, that's what we said, the importance of Friday night. Because, you know, we haven't recorded since the game in Ottawa on Thursday. And we talked and we set up the, the weekend ahead for the Canucks. Like, Friday was as, as structured as they've looked in a while. They didn't give up an even strength goal. Yes. There was the just the shitty call on Roussel that put them on the early penalty kill and Montreal scored there. Uh, and then the late power play. Uh, and that's a tough call against Tyler Mott with the puck up over the glass. But otherwise, Thatcher Demko stares down the Habs at even strength, doesn't give up anything. Saturday, it's Holtby. And I, I guess that's kind of the frustration. But at the same time, we've been saying, you know, at some point it's going to catch up to them. Uh, but the frustration is just like, it looked like they were on their game Friday and then Saturday, you know, two shots in the first period, they get outshot 15 to four in the third. They're just hanging on anything they can do to get it to overtime. They get outshot 40 to 18 on the night. And that was, you know, more of what we've seen, unfortunately, too often for the Vancouver Canucks. So they get a single point losing the shootout. But, you know, if we're talking about process, they were good Friday. Credit words do. But I don't know if it was the four games and six that caught up with them, the end of the road trip, uh, if they were feeling good about themselves, maybe too good about themselves. But Saturday was kind of right back to that uh, style that scares you about the Vancouver Canucks. Because you just can't. You can't be getting outshot 40 to 18 and think that you're going to have success most nights. Yeah, I mean, the concern should be that that's kind of a more accurate, like Saturday's a more accurate reflection of who the Canucks are based on what we've seen throughout this season, right? Like, yeah, the the fact is, is that this is the team with the lowest 
score adjusted shot attempt differential in the north, right? Like that they are they are seventh out of seven in terms of, you know, the the sort of rough metric I use as a proxy for zone time. Um Montreal's first. So you would expect every now and then for the best team, you know, to, in, in at controlling play to absolutely stomp the worst in terms of the flow of play. And and that said, the Canucks were still opportunistic. I think Braden Holtby played pretty well, uh, gave them a chance anyway, uh, helped them hang in there despite absolute withering persistence, especially from that Dano tatar uh, Brendan Gallagher line. Uh, one moment that I just want to shout out as being something I particularly enjoyed that, that, you know, no one, no one cheered during it. But one thing I love is when you get two really smart two-way players who are like really, really good and they just have a prolonged puck battle. And there was this fun neutral zone shift in the third period where Brendan Gallagher and JT Miller, and they must've been head to head for like three separate engagements over the course of a shift, uh, almost all of it in the neutral zone, just like an absolute test of wills between two of the best play driving wingers in the league. Uh, and they were just going at it. And it was, I love that. Like for me, that's as good as it gets. I was just like, this is great. Give me, I, I would watch 40 minutes of just that, just puck battles between two really able uh, two way players. I loved that part of the game. And look, I think there was a lot to like from the Canucks. Like I loved the Besser goal, uh, second slap shot goal of the year. Um, you know, I liked Quinn Hughes's answer post game too, where he said um, he's put in the work, right? Like this is not a coincidence. Like this is something Besser's been working on. It's deliberate. It's the result, not just of a natural born goal scorer uh, beating goaltenders, but it's the result of a natural born goal scorer who hadn't scored a ton of slap shot goals in his career, honing a part of his game and adding to his arsenal. Um, I loved the Quinn Hughes fake power stride into the middle before he shot for the Besser yeah. tip or yeah. sorry for the Horvat tip. What a great little move. Like, he just completely shook a defenseman with his hips alone. Like, unreal. Unreal. I love seeing that from a player like Hughes. And, and those moments are reminders, too, that, you know, for all that this Canucks team is severely limited, uh, for all that the Canucks did get outshot, you know, 27 to 11 at 5-on-5 five five over the last 40 minutes, um, you know, for all that they weren't good enough on Saturday, frankly, uh, there's still these elite, elite young players who are still figuring things out and still finding ways to get better. And, you know, that's worth watching, paying attention to, uh, no matter what their playoff odds are. Uh, and that's sort of the good thing about this Canucks team is, you know, they might not be good. I don't think they're good at all, but they're exciting anyway. Well, and, and look, we know the struggle and it's been monumental and it's been documented here on this pod at, you know, when they trail, uh, how difficult it is for them to claw their way back. And so they gave up the first goal uh, on Saturday night, and they were able to overcome that, and they got a 2-1 lead. And then Montreal took over, uh, and I agree with Travis Green, like the, the final half of the second period, uh, it was starting to get away from the Canucks. And sure enough, Montreal takes a 3-2 lead. They go to the final period, end of the road trip, and I wondered, like, what kind of push did the Canucks have? And lo and behold, not once, but twice in the first minute of the third period, they score... And so credit to them. And and that's where I said, like, it, it just, it kind of, you know, the, the entertainment value. And it's not just that it was goals. It was the way that they scored them. And it was goals off face-off plays. And it was goals off the rush. And, you know, the power play goal, as you mentioned, for Besser. And he's up to 16 now. He's matched his total from all of last year. There were encouraging moments there. Uh, but the flip side is, and when we talk about this team not being very good, Tom, all four games on the road trip, the Canucks had a third period lead at some point and weren't able to nurse it across the finish line. And that's characteristic of a team that, 
you know, I, I think is a little too cautious and they recognize what the points mean, but you can't just sit back and and put it on your goaltender. And they've been doing that too much to Thatcher Demko. On Saturday, it was Braden Holpe. I thought Holpe was excellent, and maybe at his best, at 4-4. Like, he gives up four. That's not great. But Carey Price gave up four on 18 shots, so that wasn't very good either. But at 4-4, the half score, <laughs> and moments later, you know, Kokkaniemi right down Main Street had an opportunity, and Holpe, I thought, made one of his best saves there. And then both goaltenders, even though they had given up four on the night, uh, were forced to make a couple of stops in overtime. But can we talk about overtime for a sec? Because we saw this here in Vancouver two weeks ago where Montreal just plays this crazy possession game but do nothing, nothing with it. And like maybe it's not a surprise that they haven't won a game in overtime yet this year if they're going backwards all the time. And I do wonder, and and Wagner brought this up in his – uh, I watched this game on Saturday, and I think it's a point that's worth noting that if the Bell Center is filled with 20,000 people on a Saturday night that have paid their hard-earned money to watch their hometown Montreal Canadiens, are the Habs regrouping and going backwards in overtime, or are the people turning on them? Like, is this the product of a pandemic and an empty building where they can get away with it? Because I think savvy hockey fans in Montreal wouldn't stand for it. Three on three is about pushing and trying to score and trying to win a game. And I don't know what Montreal's strategy is, but it ain't working for them. No, agreed. Well, yeah, no, uh, you're right. Uh, it's awful. It's it's really bad. But you know what? Three on three in general has become conservative across the league. It's just that Montreal has, like... Montreal's not just dating the concept of of sucking the fun out of three on three. They've they've put a ring on it, right? Like that's the that's the thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it, honestly, that Drouin shift where he sent it back to Carey Price twice after briefly gaining the zone on the back of Jeff Petrie doing the same, right? And it's just like what what what? I, yeah, I do think fans would boo. I do, I do think a full building would boo for sure, and I don't think you could get away with it. I, I also think it's worth talking about Holpe a little bit because I think Holpe was like, I think Holpe was pretty good. I think he stopped the ones you needed a goalie to stop. And the Canucks gave up a lot of quality, in my opinion, on Saturday night. And Braden Holpe was up to the test on all of them. The things that beat him were pucks through traffic. And, you know, he was screened several times by his own players. Uh, Bo Horvat took responsibility for that, um, you know, for the team. Uh, Travis Green noted that if you're going to be in a goalie sight line, you better get a piece of the puck. Um, Holtby himself criticized himself and said he needs to be better at tracking. And I think there's some fairness to that, but nonetheless, I think Holtby was totally fine. And, you know, I think, I think we're at this point too, where this Canucks team needs so much from their goaltender to win that there's no margin for error. Like Demko has no margin for error. He's had to be San Diego Hashik for, you know, a month for this team to get hot at all. Um, Holtby now comes in and he, he can't make a mistake. Because you're being outshot more than two to one, uh, being outchanced by an even wider margin than that. And, you know, I think that the, I think that the Holpe thing has sort of taken on new life in terms of its narrative heft and, and him being lumped in uh, fairly or unfairly. And, and I'd say it's not fair. Like, I, I will, I will come down and say it's not fair with some of the other inefficient money that this club has spent. Um, the Holpe deal is like classic, classic Jim Benning in that, you know, this is not an organization that over the last seven years has ever really gone young in net. There's never been two guys who were young at the same time, really, in net. You think about the Ryan Miller signing, um, 
the Ryan Miller signing came part and parcel with risking losing Jacob Markstrom on waivers, right? Like he was put on waivers the fall after they signed Miller. A um, couple years down the line after Miller departs, right? They sign, uh, was it Anders Nilsson, right? Like they signed yeah, a veteran yeah. guy to, to sort of supplant that. And that's sort of like a core part of how Jim operates. And this dates back to his time with the Sabres, right? Like this dates back to you know, Hashik and then Baron and then Baron and then Ryan Miller. And then in Boston, Tim Thomas and Tuka Rask. And then in Vancouver, like this is, this is literally in his DNA. Uh, it, like his mitochondrial cells believe that you don't throw two young goalies into the Wolves as a platoon. And with Holpe coming in, you know, they limited the term on the deal more so than most of the other free agents in Holpe's weight class. I saw the deal and I was of the opinion, like I said on this podcast, I think I described him as Eastern Conference Jonathan Quick. I didn't mean that as a compliment, right? Um, I didn't I didn't think the a ton of the player, but I thought that the bet made sense because it was conservative. I thought it was exceedingly low risk, although the, there was a higher degree of risk than the cap hit suggested because of the way the salary was backloaded. Um, you know, now... Now that the season's played out and Holpe has not been up to snuff, right? It's looking like the sub-900 save percentage that he managed that last year in, in Washington is maybe, in fact, just kind of who he is. Like, maybe he's just a below-average 1B now. Um, you know, even with all of that playing out, like, I still don't hate the way that they approach that. I still think it's defensible. Um, more than defensible, I, I, I still think it's okay. Like, even if Thatcher Demko ends up at 4 million, say, which I think is an outside valuation for him. Uh, unless he, you know, literally keeps up this early March form and, and makes a Vesna run. Um, you know, a, a 4 million plus the 4-2, that's 8.2 in cap space. Like, that's still less. That's still about average for what leagues pay, uh, NHL teams pay for their tandem. You know, you think about Vegas with 12-5 or Montreal with 13+. plus. Um, you know, like, those are really significant combined cap hits. Uh, one year with Demko and, you know, Holtby together even if Holtby gets the raise, like, that's not going to kill you. Um, overall, I just don't think that you should lump the Holtby bet, even though it hasn't turned out. Like, you can criticize it on hockey terms. They bet on the wrong guy. Fair. But in terms of the inefficient money side of it, like, I still think that was a sensible bet overall. And I, and I do think we need to keep that in mind in how we are critical about how the club has positioned itself. Like, I, I think it made sense to find a vet to play with Demko. I think the contract structure and everything about it made sense in terms of limiting term, especially relative to what other UFA goalies made on the market. And, you know, I, I don't look at that and think the Canucks should be looking to accumulate futures at the deadline so that they can sell off Holpe or make sure that Seattle takes Holpe. Like, I don't think that's necessary uh, because the bet was low risk enough from a from a cap perspective. Um, and you know, that, that I think all should go into how we evaluate Holpe because I see people whining about his contract after a, a game in which he played fine, in my view, completely, you know, uh, acceptably below average, right? Like, not like, oh man, <laughs> but like acceptably below average, uh, as a backup on the second leg of back-to-backs. Um, you know, he outplayed a guy who's making with a $10.5 million cap hit, yeah. <laughs> like, like, and people are, are moaning about the contract and it's just like, I, I just don't look at that one uh, that contract anyway I don't look at as being part and parcel with some of the inefficient deals that have obviously sunk the Canucks here and and will be extremely inconvenient again next season uh, I did think it was interesting and look uh, maybe I read too much into 
what is said post game and the way it's said. But you know, you, you mentioned Horvat and you talked about Travis Green, talking about how guys had to, you know, if you could see it, stop it, sort of thing. But but Holpe himself came out and when he was asked about the performance, said, "Well, four screen goals got past me or something like it." The fact that the goalie mentioned that uh, all four were screened, I thought, you know, it was just a, a subtle mention at the very least of you know, guys have to do a better job. And, I, you know, I'm not sure that I think of the Vancouver Canucks defensively as a team that has been guilty of not clearing out the front of the net. I mean, Thatcher Demko is stopping everything he sees and stopping a lot of the ones that he doesn't see. But, you know, I don't know that there have been a lot of nights where that's been a massive issue, but last night it was. I mean, you look at all the goals that Montreal scored and it was quite often a Hab player. Sometimes it was a Canuck and a Hab uh, the Edmondson goal, I still, like, I've watched that replay a bunch of times. Like, you know, we always talk about luck, and I have no idea how that puck got through. Like, it goes right through two bodies in front of Braden Holpe and then still finds its way to the back of the net. So uh, there were screens, certainly. Uh, those were an issue, and, uh, you know, the Habs did what they had to do to get to the front of that, uh, the Tatar goal where he wheeled out. There was traffic in front there, and then off the faceoff play, uh, again, you you know you, you give Deneau credit. He wins it cleanly from Sutter, and Gallagher is able to swoop in and and sort of take the hand off there, snap it home. And so yeah, I mean that's something the Canucks had to do a little better job of. I think on on Saturday night was clearing out the front of the net. Uh, and I was guilty. Like I was guilty of thinking that had the Canucks won last night, you know it would have been a weekend sweep. It would have been a, a sweep of the Habs, but. You pointed out on Twitter, and and I think you know I, I'll I'll own your pushback this is, here. This is this is a take. This is a take you'd have time for. No, I did absolutely. Like it, it, yeah, because because you're like, per, you're persnickety like this. You're you're totally. you're like me. Yeah. So what, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what what did you end up calling a weekend? Had the Canucks been able to get four points, but give up two? Yeah. Well, if you if you give up if you play two games, right? Maximum points is four, but in a division where you're only playing your own opponents, right? If you get four and the other team gets two, like we can't call that a sweep, even though they would be officially listed as the winner of both games, in my opinion, right? It's not a sweep. No, you're right. You are right. Yes, I'll give you this one. I think I called it a favorably weighted split, which I'm very proud of. I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, they would have recorded a favorable, favorably weighted split on their four-game road trip, uh, including two wins in Montreal. Uh, that didn't happen, obviously, but... I love too. I tweet it and everyone's like, you're so negative glass, half empty, like go cover another team. And it's like, I'm not even commenting on the Canucks' performance. <laughs> like this has nothing to do with the Canucks so much as it's how we talk about hockey. Uh, but it just goes to show, like, I, I do feel like, uh, everyone in Vancouver about this team right now seems to be a raw nerve. Like I don't remember a split in, in my time anyway, um, as dramatic about sort of the team's fortunes and approach, um, as what we have right now. Like, it just seems seems like everyone's very sensitive to criticism of the team at the moment. And I find that, you know, interesting just because, you know, I've been watching this team play. I've watched every game. And, and I don't see why... I don't see why much of this would be controversial, right? Like, they've won games. Um, it's probably too late to matter. Uh, they're fun to watch. There's a lot to be hopeful for in the future. But in terms of this team's chances here in this division this season with how they stack up against their opponents, like, you know, th there's not a ton of suspense about how this is going to turn out. And so for me, it's just a, uh, just an interesting dynamic. Hey, I also want to talk, we, we, you mentioned guys talking uh, post game. 
I got to own my terrible question to Travis Green, which I duffed. And, ah, and to yes, be clear, yes, please. the content the <laughs> content was good. I just – there's sometimes you get into a question and you keep going. You know what I mean? Like you sometimes make the mistake like what I should have done is presented the two things and just said how do those impact your decisions with goaltenders? Now, I, I saw one guy replied to Mark Mike Martinego's uh, tweeting out this out and Travis's <laughs> reaction to it and was like – just ask him about what goes into the decision, you dummies. Don't waste time trying to sound smart. <laughs> and it's like, you are someone who's never asked a question of Travis Green, right? Like, first of all, he'd literally been asked that question twice. So I'm coming in for a third try to try and get him to address the unique factors that go into it this season. I can't just go in and ask a one-sentence question. He's going he's gonna to shove it off. Shoved it off anyway. But in trying to get there, I had to present the reasons that it was different. And and what I should have done is just kind of stop talking and been like, you know, <laughs> but I kept trying to find it and find my natural conclusion. I just never got hooked. I never quite got hooked in. Um, that happens sometimes. Like we ask a lot of questions. Sometimes you duff one. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to tap myself on the chest twice, put my hand up and say, I duff that question. I, I just like the idea of you stopping talking. I, I have trouble believing that could ever happen. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I did. How the, dare you, sir? The, the whole, if people haven't seen it, like the, the just Travis's reaction. I love the silence, the head cock as he's sort of trying to process it all. And then, and then the answer. It was good. It was good fun. And <laughs> I know. And look, we've done this. As we've, we've talked about this before. Like, you're right. Like, if you just put it on a T, he's going to wipe it away. Like, you have to try to come up with an iron clad kind of question that he can't get around and and so that's part of the game here and we've both been through it and everybody else that's on these zooms uh with regularity you know you end up at times and i know exactly what was going on with you like at times you end up getting inside your own head and totally and so i've been there you were there and it uh, made for a little fun on uh, on on twitter at the very least now back to your point about everybody sort of being on edge uh, in the Canuck Twitterverse, and, and I, I think it is the realization that for as hard as the Canucks have played here, and you know what are they, they got eight wins in their last eleven games. I think they're eight two and one in their last eleven, and like all that's done is get them back to five hundred. And I think even the most eternal optimist realized that they're running out of runway because like the math is getting so simple. When you get down to the 20 games remaining, the math is really, really simple. And there's no denying like, you know, and we've said it for a while, like the Canucks would have to play at 125 point pace in a regular season and those types of things. There's 21 games to go and they've got 35 points. So you do the math. If they play 500 hockey the rest of the way, they're going to finish with 56 points and that's not going to be good enough. And so uh, it looks like it's going to take 14 wins in their final 21 games. They're going to have to go 14 and 7. That's a 667 clip. It may take more than that. And yeah. like I don't know if people have looked ahead, but it, I think <laughs> it's going to take more than that too. And fair enough. And, and, and it very well may. So, you know, 14 and 7 would sort of be the baseline, the bare minimum. And uh and and, and that's why I think like even the people that were like this is awesome, they're winning all these games, Demko's incredible. It's just the fact that they're going to run out of runway here. And that's what happens when you have a two-win month like they did in February. So uh, basically, this is my way of saying that even the really, really optimistic people are finding this dose of reality a tough pill to swallow. Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. 
even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. All right, two games into the Jimmy VC era. Uh, what have you made so far? I thought a uh, nice four check on Suzuki on the Jake for Tannen goal. Uh, he got a little uh, power play time. He was in the shootout as well. You know, and I saw people pointing out that, look, he couldn't even get into the Toronto Maple Leafs lineup, but here he is playing on the power plays. He's getting a shootout opportunity for the Vancouver Canucks that, you know, again, that speaks to this team's depth and they're without Pedersen and Pearson. So there is an opportunity right now for a guy like Jimmy VC, but... You know, it didn't overwhelm. I don't think anybody expected him to, but I didn't think he looked out of place in this lineup. I thought he played well. I mean, not great, but I thought he played well. I thought his work on the forecheck was key to creating the Vertanen goal, uh, the Canucks opener. Um, I thought his game on Friday was really good. And look, I think the overall storyline remains that, you know, fleshing out a roster with NHL level depth, which VC clearly is, which in my opinion, Howard Luck is, uh, even guys like Tyler Mott can be done and has to be done on the cheap, right? Like, honestly, Jimmy VC played really well. He's a really timely pickup for the Canucks. He's going to help them weather the absence of Tanner Pearson for at least four weeks per Travis Green. Uh, yet, you know, I also just can't avoid the fact that like Howard Luck's played well, VC's played well. And doesn't that just emphasize that you can't be committing significant money to bottom six pieces? Like, it just, it, again, it's the it's the cruel twist of this season that even positive storylines just immediately make me go negative. And it's not because of how I view it. It's just because that's the takeaway. Like, that's so apparently the takeaway. Uh, VC's credible NHL middle six depth. He's not great. He's not awful. Uh, he's going to score for you. Um, he can forecheck a bit. He's not fast. He's not super physical, but he can do the job and he can do the job at 900 K and there's huge value in that, especially for this Canucks team that's dealt with a ton of injuries and is continuing to deal with injuries to now two of their top six forwards. Um, I, I really liked his game. I, I would say I really liked his game. I didn't really like anyone's game on Saturday night, <laughs> uh, despite some of the opportunistic finishing, but I liked his game in his Canucks debut through two games, and I think he's going to be helpful for this club going forward. All right, now you got to fill in some details for me here because the last pod... Oh, we have to talk Yerky too, right? Well, that's what I mean. Like, the last pod... Yeah. So, like, it was a throwaway in my mind, but this is what I love about the Canuck fan base. This is what I love about the podcast. Like, you can throw stupid questions out there, and, you know, we did this regularly on the podcast, and they would turn into, you know, these great talking points, and I think we've kind of stumbled on this one as well because I just asked, like... This guy, what, what is he doing with his car, right? He drives from Toronto to Ottawa, and then they fly from Ottawa to Montreal. What's Jimmy VC doing with his car? Now, was it you? Like, did you take that question to VC on his Zoom? I did, yeah. <laughs> well, I was just like, I, bet I might as well ask. <laughs> and and so he gave the details uh, that it had been, that he'd driven his own car and that it had been left at uh, the Canadian Tire Center. And, and little did I know, the Yerky21 on Twitter would go and actually seek it out 
um, <laughs> posting video evidence that was then shown on the Sportsnet broadcast. Uh, Canucks Twitter, wild. Just a wild place. Um, on edge these days, but still still hilarious in, in this completely unique and weird way. And then, and then you know, I, I also love, too, the people who come in over the top and are like, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. So bad. It's so toxic. It's such a toxic oh, place. It's, it's like it's like this fun. is the funny. This is the funny stuff. It's not. I mean, look. It's not as like funny and good spirited as Sen Sickos or anything. But it's hilarious. And and kudos to Yerky, uh, for for taking it. You know, not just the extra mile, but like the extra four hundred miles out to Canada, uh, to get that photo. Good stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. We we put Detective Yerky on the case, and our best man came through with the flyby, <laughs> flyby the ran. I just I love that. Like for for the way that we had set this thing up, and then there's this picture of this sol- you know solitary vehicle in darkness, <laughs> just sitting there, not parked particularly well. I didn't think like I was analyzing the park oh, job. Oh, uh, J Pat, <laughs> <laughs> you were analyzing the park job. Those are long, awkward. <laughs> um, that's a long, awkward parking lot. And, and I'm sure it wasn't like, it might not have been full, right? Like who's using those parking spaces these days. So, you know, it's hard to like judge it versus everyone else. You're like, well, I'm definitely well within the lines. It's not like you have another Fair car enough. that you're sidling Fair up enough. to for perspective. <laughs> I get cut, cut the guy a break, cut the guy a break. It was a credible <laughs> middle six NHL parking job. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. It'll be helpful. And m- most importantly, it's only 900 K. Uh, and where it goes from here, he said he was going to be able to have it shipped. I don't know if he gets it shipped to Vancouver or if he ships it home to his off-season home because, uh, really, there's, what, six weeks left in the season. I don't know how much driving he would be doing uh, here in Vancouver. And the other thing, Tom, and I I don't know, like, I thought I knew the Canucks schedule pretty well. Uh, even I was a little surprised. I tweeted this out on Sunday. Like, they're home here for three. They've got the Jets on Monday and Wednesday night, and then they got that week off, and then they play the Flames. And then they play 11 of 15 back out on the road. And I know that the road shouldn't mean as much in empty buildings, but they've got a seven-game road trip to start the month of April. So again, for the eternal optimists out there, when you're looking at ways that this is just going to be difficult for the Vancouver Canucks, uh, they still got five games left against McDavid and Dreisaitl. That should scare the shit out of people in and of itself. But they have a seven-game road trip. They go Edmonton. And then they go Winnipeg, Winnipeg, Calgary, Calgary, back to Edmonton for a pair to start the month of April. And they still have to go back east to Ottawa and Toronto again. So uh, the month of April, an absolute beast for the Vancouver Canucks. And that's, uh, again, just sort of piling on to the fact that they're running out of runway here. And a lot of that runway is going to have to be uh, taken into account as the visitors. Yeah, well, and so the big difference with the road this year, though, and and one thing that sort of concerns me or or, or concerns me as I gauge what to expect from team performance is I, I do think as road trips go longer, uh, go along this season, you're seeing teams begin to struggle. And, and I think that's because while the home ice advantage in game isn't the same as it is with a full building of roaring fans. I think the struggle of life on the road this season is really, really isolating. Like, I think that's such a real factor. Uh, you know, people talking in the, around the league about having like two and a half hour meals, because at least at the meals, you're able to be with like a small group of people at a table together. You know what I'm saying? Like it's the only, there's not a ton of other places to congregate. Um, or or be with your teammates. So uh, 
I just think that the road is a really isolating experience, and as road trips go long, I think you've seen some teams begin to struggle. Uh, just, just in my view, for psychological reasons, for reasons pertaining most likely to the isolation that everyone's living through when they're on the road these days. Um, you know, I mean, you're at you're at a point where like you can go for a walk, but you can't even go into a drugstore to like pick up a snack or something. You know, like honestly, it sounds yeah, so grim. No, I get it. It sounds so grim to talk to the people who are doing it this year. Uh, I think that's a real factor and and one that, you know, everyone has to be aware of in, in looking at their own teams and and also in understanding the experience of players this season. Uh, they're giving up a lot and they're taking on a lot of mental challenges to to play these games. And that's sort of one thing, too, that I think needs to be underscored, shouted from the rooftops, said again, which is, you know, with the season all but lost about three weeks ago. Um, this Canucks team through February through March, uh, like they haven't played well. I don't think they're a very good team. I think they're extremely limited, but I, I have to say like, there's no question that they're the work rate and the effort has been there almost every night. And that, that I think is a, a testament really to the, to the professionalism of this group and, and one that should be commended because I think it would have been really easy to make this into a death March. The Canucks have made it the opposite. They've made, they've given them you know, a, a snowball's chance. They've given themselves a snowball's chance, excuse me. And I, I do think, you know, everyone in the org honestly deserves credit for that for that level of focus that we're seeing here. Um, at the very least, no one should be criticizing like, you know, there's no leadership on this team. It's like, man, they've, they've kept working. They've kept working in really grim circumstances for weeks now. Uh, and, and I think that's impressive. Yeah, and and again, you know, as reality sets in, and I think people start to turn and look to the future. Uh, I just want to commend both you and Harm. Nice uh, work uh, last week with the prospects and and grading the Canucks prospects, and and people know the names, but I, I think it's always good to uh, do a little deeper dive on sort of the seasons that they've had, and and you know, areas that they are progressing, but areas that uh, perhaps there are still some concerns in their game. And if people haven't had a chance, I would suggest that they go back and check that out, among other things that uh, you were on the armies on Saturday night as well. So they can certainly look at that. And, I and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Look, we're really insistent on keeping our eye on the ball in terms of what what's it going to take for this team to win a Stanley Cup with this current core group. You know, this current core group might be the most talented young group ever assembled by this franchise in 51 years. Uh, 51 years, this franchise has never won a cup right now in you know, Demko, Hughes, Pedersen, Horvat, Besser, uh, all under the age of 25, or Horvat is 25. Uh, you've probably got the best, oh, I guess Demko is too, but so 25 and under, you've got probably the best building blocks that this franchise has ever had. Um, what comes next though? Well, what comes next is fleshing out the team around them. And that's going to be really tricky to do because, you know, there's been some tough luck. Like there's been some tough luck in terms of the pandemic, in terms of the flat cap, in terms of what the club has had to do in terms of personnel spend, uh, player personnel spend in particular this season. Uh, it's put them behind the eight ball in a lot of ways. And and one thing that I, 
you know, think you can take out from looking at that prospect series too is, you know, over the last 18 months, the Canucks have graduated like eight guys from their prospect pool onto their roster, right? So Hoaglander, Hughes, even Demko was a rookie last season in the NHL. Yolevi, McEwen, like all these guys who were in the system now aren't. That includes Brogan Rafferty. Like guys like that too have graduated from the Canucks prospect pool now. And what's left is at the top end, a few really good pieces and a lot of a lot of hope bets. Like there's not the same level of depth or prospect depth that we've seen in this club or, or, or has sort of been typical for this club over the past five years. Uh, this is going to be a unique opportunity to replenish it, right? Like selling over the next two and a half weeks, prices aren't going to be great, but the Canucks are uniquely positioned. First of all, they're a premium sort of target to, to add depth from for a Canadian team because the length of quarantine is shorter than it is for most other sellers in the NHL. Like Ottawa and Vancouver, that's it. If you're, those are the two shops where you can get a player in a week in Canada, everywhere else you're looking at 14 days. So that's tough. Like that's tough. It's tough to integrate new players before the playoffs. Um, if, if you don't get to use them for two weeks and they're gathering cobwebs in a working quarantine situation for that, uh, that that's, that's a bounce in the Canucks' favor. And it's one that they really need to take advantage of, especially because of the draft uncertainty that we outlined on last week's episode, especially because of the expansion draft factor, and some of the talent that could be available for mid-round picks. Like, mid-round picks are even more valuable currency this offseason than they ever have been before. This club needs more in terms of depth of prospects. They need to be proactive um, over the next few weeks. Elliot Friedman reported on Saturday that the Canucks are going to wait and see. Um, For me, that's just potentially a tragic missed opportunity, especially because of the stakes. And the stakes are not invented. The stakes are there because of how good this team's core pieces are. Like I, I know this is my soapbox, and I'm probably going to do this mini rant in some variation uh, again almost every episode for the next three weeks, and for that I apologize. But you know, look, in serving this market and serving the VIPs, I think it's incumbent on us uh, and, and incumbent on me. I feel a personal responsibility to keep my sights trained with focus on what matters and what matters in this market more than anything else for a lot of Canucks fans is seeing this team win a cup before they die. Um, those are the stakes here. They're, they're not invented by me. I'm not, I'm not making this up or pulling this out of my arse. Like this is, this is the situation we find ourselves in. And for me, it's just very obvious how the club should proceed. And that's why I'm not going to stop talking about it. J Pat. And that's fine. And, and I hear you and I agree, but Let's deal with the reality that neither you nor I uh, have our hands on the wheel of this organization. No, and so Tanner Pearson is injured right now. That complicates matters. Does anybody know what's going on with Jay Beagle? Because as long as Jay Beagle is out of the lineup, I worry that the organization sees Brandon Sutter as the foundational piece that he was once described many years ago. Like, I have trouble living in a world or seeing a world where the Canucks don't have Brandon Sutter or Jay Beagle at their disposal. Now, I'm not saying that that's the way it should be, but like if Beagle's out long, like I just haven't heard, sort of out of sight, out of mind, they've been on the road. I don't Mm -hmm. know the update on Jay Beagle, but he's not available to them right now. And so in my mind, it sort of feels like that places more importance on Brandon Sutter, even though Brandon Sutter should probably be 
uh, one of their primary trade chips, especially in the situation with Pearson out, uh, you know, through the trade deadline now. Like, is a team going to trade for damaged goods? Do you see a way that a team would still make that deal for Tanner Pearson, even if he's on the shelf at the trade deadline? The, yeah, I mean, for me, for me, it's a no-brainer. Like, you kind of have to see. You have to see. Um, Honestly, it's worth seeing, too, if Gaudette and Michaelis can play center, like can play bottom six center. It's worth seeing what you have in them. Uh, For me, that should have no impact at all. Uh, For the organization, I think you're right. It probably does, right? Like it's probably part of their calculus. And and look, this is another factor worth noting. You know, I'm, I'm getting more and more people saying things to me on Twitter, things like, you know, if you quit on the team, like you'll lose the room. You have to be really delicate. Like players will be disappointed. They don't care about two years down the line. And by the way, that's true. Players don't care about two years down the line, which is why they're paid to play and GMs are paid to make the hard decisions, right? Like that's dead on in terms of their understanding of the dynamic. But additionally, you have this extra layer with this Canucks team where in terms of the coaching staff, you know, they also probably don't have their eyes trained on the long on the long term, right? Because they're on expiring deals. Um, you know, if you lose Sutter and Beagle, you're kind of giving a middle finger to Nolan Baumgartner who's on an expiring deal and runs the PK. <laughs> you know, like you're putting a lot of people in a tough spot if you are. And, and look, it's not waving the white flag. It's just being realistic about where this team's chances are. Uh, you know, this team's been able to win a ton of games without Elias Pettersson. So you can't tell me that losing Sutter or Ben or Hamannick, um or Pearson is going to be, and they've already lost Pearson now, um, is going to be something that completely like is akin to tanking. Like it's not, it's not at all. This team is winning, you know, despite a variety of absences. Um, they should keep trying to do that and they should keep doing everything they can to maximize expiring assets here over the next month. So but yes, I, I think you're right. I'm sure that does play a factor. And, and also, I do think while the club's going well, while they have, you know, this 20%-ish shot at making the playoffs, they're up to 1-5. in five. They, they, they were 1-20 in 20 for, for much of the month of February, and now they're up to 1-5 in five shot of making the uh, playoffs. Um, you know, I do think they're going to wait and sort of see how things turn out. And I, I just wonder if this deadline is going to be all around too complicated to justify that approach. Um, and look, I think if you miss the playoffs in late April, having not monetized a single expiring asset, to me, that's just a much, much worse outcome than having to be delicate about how you message, you know, keeping your eye on the long term to the room and to your coaching staff. So um, that's just how I weighed it. But I, I, th- I do think you're right. I do think those factors will play a role in how this club proceeds in the weeks ahead. Canucks back home off the road. They got the Jets twice. Then they get a week off, and then they host the Flames on the final night of this month of March. And then, as we said earlier, out on the road for seven in a row. Uh, 21 games to go. That's where the Canucks find themselves uh, after going 3-0-1 out on the road trip. Uh, pick up seven of eight points, but they gave a few back against the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, we'll see what they can do here at home against the Jets on Monday and again on Wednesday. If you're looking for other pod options here at The Athletic, there are many, including Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian. They've got The Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, you can find that at The Athletic. We should also mention uh, it's March Madness, so it's not just hockey, but if you're uh, uh, one of these guys, that uh, and there are many of you I know, uh, following the NCAA tournament, uh, March Madness is here. The Athletics College Basketball Crew brings you The Ding You, presented by BetMGM. We'll cover all the action both on the court and at the sports book. 
grabbing insight from the Athletics College basketball writers and picking the brain of BetMGM's top bookmakers. Today's episode of The Ding You can be found on the Daily Ding feed and streaming on YouTube as we take a look at the second round here at The Athletic. Uh, also, check out our comment section for every podcast episode that we do. You can find that at The Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And again, if you're not already a subscriber, what are you waiting for? Go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just a dollar a month. Uh, is it too much to ask, too much to expect that we could get some entertainment two games in a road, Rancer? Yeah, I mean, I think I think with these Winnipeg games, we'll be good. I think Winnipeg is a much more, like, I think Winnipeg is an even matchup for the Canucks. I mean, not, not just the fact that you think about Vancouver's best per- performance of the season came in Winnipeg, but those games where Winnipeg took two straight from Vancouver in Vancouver, what was that, three weeks ago? Uh, right before this win streak, right before things turned around for the Canucks. Like, the Canucks were the better team in both those games. Uh, I'm not going to be stunned at all if Vancouver can give Winnipeg a, a real run here. Uh, both are teams that, in my view, are extremely limited with some high-end talent and excellent goaltending. Uh, I think this is evenly matched. I, I won't be stunned, actually, if the Canucks seriously dent the Jets uh, this week in Vancouver. Um, I, I don't really rate the Jets very highly, so... Uh, these are these are games that the Canucks can have, and it's going to be really interesting to see them play out because when you get two evenly matched teams with good goaltenders and elite talent, like you're you're going to see some scoring chances. I think you're going to see a, a lot of action um, with this two game series in Vancouver this week. I remember the last time the Jets were here, it was Forbert. He was like public enemy number one, and they attacked oh Derek Forbert because he got his hands on. <laughs> That's <laughs> he his, right. He dared wow. to get his hands on Nils Hoaglander. Uh, I just time time is so weird this year, eh? Like that feels like it was months ago, but you're it right. Does. It was only three weeks ago. Yep. The Forbert the Forbert outrage. <laughs> hey, Amazing. Just just when we wrap things up here, uh, you've seen Montreal now a couple of games against the Canucks. I, I know that you're not high on the Winnipeg Jets. So if we assume that Edmonton and Toronto are going to be left to battle for top spot. Uh, of the remaining three, then Winnipeg, Montreal, and Calgary, like who is going to round out the playoff field in this Canadian division? I think Calgary makes the push. I think Calgary is going to make the push. I think they're going to get in. That's my view. That's my opinion. Um, you know, the, the Jets have a healthy lead on them, so it's going to be tight. Uh, but I believe I I, th- I just believe in Calgary's overall depth, and I I think Markstrom is going to put together a stretch, and I think Daryl Sutter is going to have a mammoth impact there replacing Jeff Ward. So, And they've got Chris Tanev, who it feels like the hockey world has just discovered Chris Tanev here in the middle of the season. Like, you see, like, I know. Hockey What's night, going on with like, that? Hockey I've, been, night, I've been outraged. Hockey Night with the big tribute to him. I see Eric Francis wrote this column about him being the most important Calgary Flame under Daryl Sutter I now. Know. like it is, it is pretty funny that this guy played 10 years in the league uh, and, and did it quietly. I get that. But it's almost like the league, after a decade, is now catching up to Chris Tanev, which is hysterical. Oh, I know. Especially because it's like this guy rose and like not recently, right? Like from 14 or probably from 13-14. 13-14, John Tortorella elevates him to a top pair with Dan Hamhuse. And for the rest of the decade, for six years, Chris Tanev is an oft-injured but bona fide. First pair defenseman in the NHL, one of the top 50 defenders in hockey, all defensive value, one of the top 50 overall defensemen in hockey, and one of the top 10 in terms of pure defensive value. He sustains that form as a genuine top pair defender for 10 years. 
or sorry, for five years. He's actually no longer that top pair quality defender. He's no longer a top 50 defender in hockey. He's still really good, but now he's being discovered because he went to the other side of the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> Drives me fucking nuts. It's crazy. But you know what? I'm happy for Tanev. Like, I'm happy for a, a guy I really loved watching play and I really loved covering. I'm glad to see him getting some belated shine. Uh, it's too bad it didn't happen before he signed. You know, it's probably the last really big long-term deal of his of his career. Uh, but, you know, look, glad to see him get the attention, but it just drives me nuts that, like, for years, I'd call Chris Tanev in articles and stuff. I'd be like, this guy's a, you know, top pair caliber defender. People would be like, top pair caliber, caliber defender? What are you talking about? Like, second pair. He's a three on a good team. And now, and now, but now, he plays in the Battle of Alberta. So, oh, man. Oh, man. He's, he's, why, why has he never got Norris consideration, J-Pat? Drives me insane. Honestly, I, I had a mini freak out about this last night. I was just like, why? What, what is going on? He's been so good for so long. Anyway, um, glad to see Tanev get that shine. Uh, but yeah, here's here. Look, let's do a quick roundup of the North. I think the Maple Leafs being close to the Oilers is superficial. They're still going to run away with this division. They just need to figure out their goaltending. Uh, figuring out their goaltending probably means Campbell. Uh, I think they're going to be totally fine with Campbell and Nett, and I think they'll run away with this the rest of the way. I think Edmonton's better than people realize. I know their goaltending is a little bit, you know, smelly, but I, I still think that that top end and that defense score is going to be enough um, to keep them really competitive and to be a real threat against the Maple Leafs in the playoffs. I don't really believe in Winnipeg, but we'll see. They do have Hellebuck, the great equalizer. Um, and then I think Calgary is going to make a push here. I also think Montreal's basically in. I just think they're the best five on five team in the country. That's going to be enough, especially with how much of the game is played in that situation. And look, I just don't see the Canucks really making a dent into that conversation at any point here. Um, you know, Thatcher Demko has been like a 950 goaltender at five on five. Like, think about that game against the Habs on Saturday. It felt like they had to work four times as hard as the Canucks to get a goal, didn't it? And the Canucks still end up losing or dropping a point. Um, you know, the Canucks have been running uphill here and it goes back to my old... There's 10 games a year where a team can play like absolute dog shit and they still win. And there's 10 games a year where a team can play so, so well. Everything's working for them and they still lose. And I feel like the Canucks had have had those 20 games now. It's just that they came back to back. The, the first, the 10 where they played well and lost were in February. And then the 10 where they played poorly and won came in March. Um, and now we'll see the rest of the way. But my guess is we're going to see a Canucks team that looks... Um, like they really are, which is, you know, for me anyway, the sixth best team in Canada. Montreal and Calgary, by the way, play five times head-to-head -head still. So I think that's, Fun. you know, that's probably going to determine uh, which of those teams prevails. And, and if one can, you know, win four of those five, uh, certainly would serve them well. Uh, all right, just as we wrap things up here, uh, I don't want to oversell this, but I will just say if you're an aspiring hockey writer or an aspiring podcaster, a young broadcaster looking for an opportunity and a break, uh, stand by. I'm just going to say that if this was Twitter, I'd put the, like, the googly eyes, um, but there may be some news here in the days ahead. So uh, prepare your portfolios. Let's just go with that. <laughs> Very excited. Yes. All right. Uh, look, two home games here and then a break, and uh, we'll continue... Uh, to pump out the pods, even when they're not playing here uh, over that week off for the Vancouver Canucks. There'll be no shortage of things to talk about, but uh, games against the Jets uh, should provide us some material as well. So we look forward to two more pod episodes here of the VanCast. 
uh, over the remainder of this week. For Drancer, it's J-Pat. Have yourself a great week ahead. Enjoy the hockey games. You've been listening to the Bandcast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com.